This episode of No Bad Food is brought to you in part by Whiskey Lane. Are you a producer of artisan food or drinks looking to get your name out there? Look no further. Whiskey Lane's team of social media, branding, and marketing experts is here to help. They'll take care of all that stuff for you so that you can focus on doing what you do best, making awesome products for your customers. Here at No Bad Food, we know that buying locally made products goes a long way toward making our world more sustainable, and that's why we're proud to be sponsored by Whiskey Lane. So, what are you waiting for? Grab your nearest artisan cheese or homebrewed IPA and run to whiskeylane.ca to find out more. And remember, that's whiskey the Canadian way. Without any. You understand. It just takes a little time. It takes a little time. It takes a little time with me. I hope you don't mind. We'll take it slow this time. Hi, I'm Tom Zalatni, and you're listening to the No Bad Food Podcast. If you're new here, welcome. This is a show about great food and the people who love to make and eat it. Our mandate is simple, to explore, taste, and learn about food in ways that celebrate all the things that make it great. Every week, we dig into a different dish, meal, ingredient, cuisine, or piece of food media, exploring the history and culture around it, sharing favorite recipes, and learning from our wonderful guests. The only rule? You gotta love it. After all, there's no such thing as bad food. Before we dig in, I want to take a minute to acknowledge that the studio where I'm recording is situated within the traditional and unsurrendered territories of the Ganyangahaga First Nations. As settlers, it's important to remember when the lands we occupy are not our own, and to engage in conversations that challenge the colonial mindset. I want to encourage you to take some time today and every day to reflect on your relationship with the land you live on, and with the indigenous communities of that area. Today, September 6th, is my birthday, and it doesn't happen often that my birthday falls on a podcast release day, so I'm going to do something a little self-indulgent today to celebrate. I've been asking my guests to leave me with a question of their own to answer at the end of every episode so that I can do a little bit of solo content, because I kind of thought I would need it once my school workload picks up this fall, because, uh, you know, recording solo is way easier than scheduling with a guest. So I've got, like, a huge backlog of these, because I've been getting every single guest to ask me a question when we finish the interviews, uh, and every once in a while I'm just going to put one of these out where I just answer my guests' questions. And, you know, hopefully that'll be a fun way for you to get to know me. Hopefully it'll be a fun way for me to kind of engage with past guests a little bit more regularly. And it'll be a way for me to talk about things on this show that don't necessarily come up in conversation while we're talking about any given topic any given week. So yeah, I've chosen a few that I thought were fun to kick things off. And my first question comes from Tung La, my guest from episode two, the pho episode. We just did a condiments episode. So let's do like desert island condiment, one condiment that can't be like salt and pepper. I would say like something in bottle form that you can like, or shaker form, I guess, uh, but not salt and pepper, as, as I said. The only condiment you can ever use for the uh, rest of time. All right, this is a tough question for me. Um, Desert Island questions are always kind of tough. Maybe a little unfair, frankly, because, you know, presumably you're going to be stuck on that island for the rest of your life, limited to whatever you chose to bring with you. And like, honestly, I don't think that there's anything that I would be down to commit to eating every single day for the rest of my life. Like that that would be a really surefire way to ruin that thing, right? So I have to think about it less in terms of like <laughs> what I think is going to be tastiest uh, and more in terms of practicality, like what I think is going to be, you know, nutritious or like 
add an element, a depth to whatever meal I'm eating. Um, and I think for me, that has to be something kind of acidic because that acid will cut through whatever else I'm stuck eating and, you know, maybe even ideally provide a little bit of vitamin C or something to kind of help fight off scurvy. Because I guess scurvy is a concern when you're on an abandoned island. I don't know. <laughs> when I think about condiments... I don't just think of, you know, bottled sauce kind of things that you squeeze onto stuff like ketchup and mustard. I, I also think about the sort of uh, hand-chopped condiment, I guess, is a weird way to put that, but it's what I'm going to use. Things like chimichurri and and pesto, even. Um, so I think that for me, chimichurri would be really great. It's it's parsley-based, which I love, and it's kind of acidic and a little garlicky. Uh, there's a lot of flavor to it, and it's herbaceous and acidic. And I think that, like, that would be nice kind of thrown on top of anything, you know? I would miss my actual favorite condiments, like mustard and barbecue sauce, but, like, I think that chimichurri would be practical. I don't know. It might be harder to get bored of? Maybe? I don't even know. But, yeah, I think I'm going to go with chimichurri. I don't know. I would rather not live on a desert island if, if I had the option, but I don't. So, yeah, chimichurri. All right, my next question comes from Greg Schultz, my guest from episode three, where we talked about plant-based cheeses. If you went to a desert island and there was going to be a bunch of different foods, but uh, very limited condiments, what are the three <laughs> condiments okay, you tongue, would take with you? Tongue actually asked me this exact question already. What? <laughs> are you kidding me? <laughs> God damn it, Tongue. We got to fight again. God. All right. <sighs> all right. If you're going on a desert island and uh, you, there, there's going to be a lot of food, but only, not that many beverages, what three beverages would you bring? How many beverages? Three? Three beverages. Okay, sweet. I can work with that. <laughs> no, and we're going to exclude water because that one, I think water they're going to have in abundance, but you have to pick the other three. Okay, I can work with that. Wasn't it nice of Greg to give me three drinks instead of just one like Tongue did? Greg's a better friend than you, Tongue. I'm just going to put it out there. Um, anyway, I like having three options here for a desert island thing because I feel like that doesn't happen that often, um, but it kind of helps to give you a little bit of variety, and variety is the spice of life after all. Um, I think that for me, if I had to pick three beverages, one would have to be coffee because I just, I need coffee to live. <laughs> um, I think, you know, even if I were on a desert island with presumably a lot less going on, I would still want coffee to kind of keep me stimulated. Normally, I drink my coffee with milk and sugar, but I can drink it black, and I don't want to waste one of my other drinks on milk, so I'm going to just say black coffee here. Uh, I also really like iced tea, <laughs> and I realize, like, you know, that's two caffeinated drinks while I'm on a desert island. Um, but Greg also said that, you know, water doesn't count, like water's already good. So I'm going to be fine. I'll stay hydrated. Don't worry. I'll be okay. Um, so yeah, iced tea has got to be there as well. I really love iced tea, especially like a lemon iced tea. Um, so I don't know if that counts as one drink or two, like if it has to be lemon like lemonade and iced tea combined, I really, really like. But I'm going to say lemon iced tea just as a sort of like catch-all term for, you know, like a nest tea kind of situation or a brisk, you know, those like those commercially sold lemon iced teas. I love that kind of thing. I guess that would actually maybe also help with the vitamin C situation. I don't know if, if lemon iced tea has enough vitamin C in it to count. It's, it's probably a negligible amount, but I'm going to go with it. I think for my last drink, I'm going to go with a fruit juice, um, maybe grapefruit. I really like grapefruit juice. You know, I realize it's... Uh, God, actually, I think... I think I've just set myself up between grape juice, coffee, and chimichurri. I'm going to be having a really, really acidic desert island life. So maybe my third drink should actually be Pepto-Bismol. Next up, we have a question from Gabrielle Samek, 
my guest from episode one of No Bad Food, right after we did the rebrand, where we talked about Ottolenghi's flavor. I was wondering about how having a child has changed your relationship to food. All right. Thank you, Gabrielle. I think this is a really interesting question. I think if I had to pick... Having kids has taught me kind of two really important lessons about food. The first is more about parenting, but I suspect it actually extends beyond children and to just, like, unadventurous eaters in general. Uh, I like to say unadventurous instead of picky, because I think that picky is kind of negative, whereas unadventurous feels like something, like, with less judgment on it, I guess. I don't know. It's early. It's allergy season. My brain's real foggy. Anyway, the first thing I learned is about dealing with unadventurous eaters. So when my stepdaughter was like, I think probably about four, I read somewhere that sometimes you need to expose a kid to a new food upwards of 10 times in order for them to adjust to just that food existing as a food. Uh, And then they'll be willing to give it a try for the first time, which makes sense, right? Because like kids haven't seen every single food that exists, you know, (laughs) I mean, unless they grow up watching Food Network, which like my kids kind of are, and you know, probably at some point they'll get a little more adventurous as they get older, just from TV exposure. But like most of the time, kids are going to see a new food and be like, what the heck is that thing? I've never seen that before. And they're not necessarily going to trust it, right? They haven't seen every food that exists. They haven't tasted every food that exists. They haven't even necessarily seen their parents eat every food that exists. So their like internal natural instincts are probably screaming at them to be cautious around those kinds of things just in case they're poisonous, right? So seeing your parents eat and enjoy something isn't always enough either. Um, Sometimes you need to work your way up to trying it, and you need to see proof enough times that it's not poisonous, I guess. So, like, if my kid sees me eating lasagna, like, ten times in a row, the first couple times they're going to be like, what is that? Why are there so many layers? Why are there so many textures? What's going on? I don't want it. It's poison. But by the tenth time, they'll be like, well, Papa's not dead yet, so I guess I'll eat lasagna. So yeah, that's my advice. If you have a kid who is unadventurous about food, serve them what they like, you know, maybe set aside some pasta and some cut up veggies and eat the adventurous stuff yourself in front of them. Like set down the meal together. You eat the lasagna, you give them some plain noodles. Eventually they're going to be like, okay, my noodles are boring. Give me the lasagna. I want that. And they'll probably like it because it's delicious. And that's going to make dinner time a lot less stressful for everyone involved because they're not going to feel the pressure to eat something that they don't trust yet. That actually brings me really smoothly to the second thing, which is a little parenting hack that makes dinner time less stressful. So, uh, you know, like I said a minute ago, if you don't know for sure that your kid is going to like the thing that you want to make, like lasagna, for instance, just make some plain rice, pasta, vegetables, a sandwich, whatever you know that they're comfortable with that doesn't take you more than like five minutes of work. And make that as well. Have it available to them as an alternative. You could even try leaving the extra stuff in the kitchen, bringing them out the lasagna, and then if they don't want the lasagna, offering them the other stuff as an alternative if you want to kind of like up the chances. But just having it available to them, having it available to them as an option is going to make a huge difference. It's not fair to demand that your kid is going to try every new thing that you eat the first time that it's put on the table in front of them. And you're going to save yourself a huge headache if you just prepare for the worst and make an extra peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Like, that's all you need to do. <laughs> just just make an extra sandwich, you know, either give it to them right away or, you know, keep it in the kitchen until they ask for it. But, like, save yourself a headache. Save them a tantrum. Don't try to force them to eat food that they're not comfortable with yet. Have a backup plan. 
it's it's not going to be that much more work you know most of the time when you're making dinner you have time to also make a sandwich frankly most of the time when i'm making dinner i will make myself a sandwich to eat while i'm making dinner so like just make your kid a little extra something on the side and you know best case scenario they're going to eat the food that you prepared for everyone worst case scenario you got a backup plan and you know (laughs) an extra sandwich i don't know it's it's with kids and food it's really just about making them feel comfortable which i guess is true of most things in parenting but i feel like especially with food you just have to make the kid feel comfortable and eventually they're going to open up and explore also don't be surprised if they don't like it the first time they ate it they might not it's new you might have to let them try it a few times but giving them the option to try it and then change their mind about eating it and eat something else is going to make them more comfortable to try things in the future. And it's going to get rid of that scarcity mindset that a lot of kids in, say, my generation grew up with where, you know, well, if you don't eat this, you're not getting anything else. So you're going to starve tonight. Like, you don't want your kid to feel that way. That's shitty, right? <laughs> so just, you know, make sure your kid knows that, like, you want them to try new things because it's fun and exciting and, and you know, it opens up the world for them if they eat new foods, but they're not going to be in trouble if they don't like it. They're not going to be forced to eat the whole thing if they don't like it. You know, celebrate them trying it whether they like it or not, and then give them another option if they don't want it because that way they'll be happy to keep trying things. All right, let's take a quick break here for some mid-roll stuff, and then after that, I'm going to answer a couple more questions before we wrap up the show. Hey, it's the mid-roll. Wow, doing a solo show is exhausting. I am talking so much more than I usually talk. Usually, I just sit here and say a couple words and then listen to my guest while I go, hmm, yeah, huh, oh, I love that, yeah, 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 but instead, here I am talking just incessantly the entire episode. Oh my god, how are you not tired of me yet? Anyway, if you're not tired of me yet, thank you, that's awesome, uh, and you're enjoying the show, make sure to hit subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on so that you never miss a new episode. While you're at it, consider leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or sharing this episode with a friend. For every new rating and review I get during the month of September, I'll be donating $2 to The Depot, my local food bank here in NDG. They can turn every $1 into $3 worth of food for a family in need. So by doing the simple free act of leaving a rating and review of the show, you're functionally donating $6 of food to people who need it. There is literally no other way to turn zero into six like that. So if that math is exciting for you, go do it. You can read all about what The Depot is doing at the link in the description of this episode. So despite the fact that this show has been heavily focused on food for a while, it's been a show for like six years and a lot of our existing apple podcast reviews are really outdated and still talk about it like it's a comedy podcast so if you've already left a review in the past maybe take this opportunity to go update it and i'll include that as a new review even if it's technically just an update of an old one because accurate reviews are a lot more helpful than outdated ones also a note that i use they them pronouns exclusively now so if you talk about me at all in your review which you might because i am the host of the show and it kind of stands to reason that you might talk about me please use they them pronouns for me i really don't appreciate being misgendered in reviews of my own podcast. It feels really bad. Thank you. If you're one of my Montreal-based listeners, I wanted to let you know that I have posted the menu for the uh, No Bad Food catering service, I guess I'll call it, uh, that is uh, pickup only here in NDG, where you can order food and I will cook it and you can pick it up from me and it's delicious. Uh, The September menu features the Garfield special, which is lasagna and uh, 
garlic bread and some sautéed greens. Uh, I also have things like hummus and mac and cheese and rice and beans and cheddar biscuits available. All of the information for this is posted on my Instagram at Tonzalatni. And uh, look, I'm not going to lie, money is really tight. And having this little bit of extra income coming in from cooking for people, a thing that I love doing, has made a big difference for me the last few weeks. So if you want to, you know, help support me that way and also get some delicious food in the process, hit me up on Instagram at Tomzalatni and place an order. Lastly, if you haven't had a chance yet to listen to last week's episode where my guest Chris Walker and I talked about roti, doubles, and bus up, go cue that up to listen to when you finish this one. It's a really fun episode. I think you'll get a lot out of it, especially if you like Caribbean food or if you've never had Caribbean food and want to learn a little bit about it and, you know, live vicariously through your ears. I guess. Is that a thing? We'll call it a thing. Try it. Listen to it. Try some roti. It's it's really fun. I honestly, I would recommend ordering the food that is the title of the episode any given week and eating it while you listen. That seems like a really fun kind of engaging way to listen. I don't know. If you do that, tell me how it goes. I would love to know. Make it a multimedia experience, you know? Anyway, that's enough for me. Let's get back to me. It's weird when I do solo shows. All right, my next question comes from Andrew Henderson from our recent episode about the Cubano. What is your favorite like, misconception about cooking? Like, what is, like, <laughs> that, that one thing you're like, actually? This is an interesting question. I, I think the biggest misconception that I hear all the time is this idea that anybody can cook. Because I actually don't think that's true. Like, I think everybody has the potential to be able to cook, sure. But I actually think that there are some people who are just never going to be able to do it well. I, I think that's okay, also. Like, I think that there are people who are inherently good at it. Like, you're going to, like with anything, you're going to have, you know, some people who are just, like, naturally gifted at the thing, and that's cool. You're going to have some people who aren't naturally gifted at it, but can work really hard to get there, and that's also cool. But I think you're also going to have people who, like, just aren't going to do it. (laughs) And that's okay. Like, we don't expect every person to be able to drive a car or ride a bike or play music or do their own taxes. So, like, why should everybody have to be good at cooking, right? Like, I know cooking is a thing that you do to sustain yourself. So, like, obviously we expect everybody to be able to fend for themselves somehow. But, like, you know, that can be convenience food or takeout or, like, finding one or two recipes you can cook. Like, you know... Uh, pre-made pasta and 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 jarred sauce or like you know (laughs) i don't know garlic bread's pretty easy like there's a lot of things that are like you know one or two steps that anybody can figure out pretty easily but like there is nothing wrong with you as a person if you don't want to put in the work to get really good at cooking a lot of different things like that is just not for everyone like i don't know how to ride a bike and I don't feel like riding a bike I learned when I was six and then I didn't have a bike till I was 10 and then when I tried again when I was 10 I didn't know how to bike anymore because you can in fact unlearn how to ride a bike so you know forget about that old saying Um, and and I don't really have any interest in learning how to ride a bike again but I can cook real good and and there's room for people of all forms in the world all right so if you are someone who, you know, <laughs> wants to be better at cooking, I think that you can. I think that you can be better at cooking. You just have to want it enough to put in the work and and learn the things that will help you do it well. And there are tricks and there are hacks and there are techniques. And you know, I think like I think a big part of it is to be truly good at cooking, you have to understand food on some level that is not necessarily obvious on the surface. So like, I don't just mean like, you know, 
I don't mean in terms of nutrition. I don't mean in terms of chemistry or whatever. I mean in terms of you have to like, there's almost a sixth sense where, but it's not a sixth sense. It's taste. It is, it is a, it's one of the normal senses that we talk about as a sense. You have to understand the way that your food tastes. You have to spend time thinking about it and tasting it and just put time into it, right? Anything that you want to be good at takes time. That's true with food too. Just because food is something that sustains you and is necessary doesn't mean that it's not going to be hard to do it well. So if you want to be better at cooking, put a lot of thought and attention into your food. Love the things that you're eating. If you don't love something you're eating, try to figure out why. Is it too spicy? Is the texture weird for you? Like, what is the thing that makes you like or not like a food? And then, you know, find out how to replicate it. The internet is a really good tool for that, but if you're not super internet savvy, ask your friends. Someone that you know is going to know how to make the thing. And if you don't know anyone who knows how to make the thing, ask me. I might know how to make the thing. And if I don't, I will be happy to do the research for you and let you know. That is kind of what I love doing the most in the world. Seriously, <laughs> like it's Virgo season. I am a Virgo, obviously. This came out on my birthday. I, I love to help people find the right way to do a thing and then tell them how the how to do the thing the right way. That is that is like that is like drugs to me. I love that shit. So if you are having trouble learning how to cook a thing, ask me how to do it and I will tell you how to do it and it'll be the right way to do it because I'm a Virgo, okay? <laughs> it's, that's it. Um, I guess my, my word of advice to anyone who falls into the category of like, I super can't cook and I'm not going to put in the effort, that is okay. I, cool that you know that about yourself, frankly. <laughs> like I, I, I admire people who are willing to say, I love food. I don't give a shit about cooking it myself. Kudos to you. That's great. Good for you. I, I, I'm glad that you like know that and have prioritized other things for yourself. Um, my advice to you, if you want to eat really well in spite of that, is to live with somebody who is not like that and cooks really, really well and just do their dishes. Just, just you know, find a roommate or a partner to live with who is a really good cook and say, this is awesome. You do the cooking. I will clean. <laughs> and you know what? They're going to be thankful that they don't have to clean because I'll tell you when I am cooking, if I have someone else who can clean for me so that I don't have to, I'm going to be a lot more creative with the cooking I'm doing because I'm not going to be thinking in the back of my mind about how to clean it up afterward because that is not my problem anymore. <laughs> That's your problem. So like you're going to get better food out of me frankly. And you're going to get better food out of the person that you choose to live with who is good at cooking if you offer to do their dishes. The other advice I have is, you know, be rich enough to just pay people to feed you all the time, which is an option, certainly. <laughs> you don't even really have to be rich enough. You can just be willing to go into a lot of credit card debt. Uh, speaking from experience as a poor person who still orders a lot of Uber Eats. <clears throat> anyway, I'm broke. Last question. <laughs> Baby, happy birthday to me. My last question on this uh, solo episode of No Bad Food comes from Chris Walker, who was actually my guest on last week's episode about roti, but I liked his question and wanted to include it today. I'm going to remind you guys, I have a ton of other questions like this. So I'm going to be doing these Q&A episodes here and there. I, I suspect you're going to get another one uh, probably around reading week or midterms or whatever you want to call it. So like probably sometime in October, because uh, I am really going to be staggering these on weeks when I just super duper don't have time to record with guests. So uh, yeah, if you actually want to ask a question for one of these episodes, 
and haven't been on the show as a guest, uh, a great way to get to ask a question is by supporting me on Patreon at patreon.com slash nobadfoodpod. Uh, there's a link in the description of this episode. You can do that for as little as a dollar, and there are a lot of awesome perks involved. So I would highly recommend doing it. Yeah. As a little birthday gift to me, even. Huh? What do you think of that? Huh? Huh? All right, here's Chris. My question for you is, what would you title your cookbook and why? Cookbook names. Okay, I don't have a concrete answer for this question because I think that the reality of like book publishing and titling books is that the title of any book that you write is going to come to you at some point during the writing. Like you might have a working title where you're like, hmm, you know, it's going to be about this. So I think I'm going to call it this. But like, realistically, you're going to find your title <laughs> sometime in between when you start writing it and when it gets published. Uh, it's it's going to come to you while you're writing it. You're going to have a few ideas. Maybe it'll come to you during the editing process. Frankly, maybe your publisher is going to just decide what the title of the book is. I, I suspect that happens fairly often. Often. I don't know. But I, I do think that if I were to write a cookbook right now, I would probably be writing a cookbook of like comfort food recipes, you know, things that I cook for myself and my family all the time. Uh, a lot of the stuff that I post on my Instagram, frankly, things like schnitzel and lasagna and shepherd's pie, um, cheddar biscuits, you know, barbecued meat, <laughs> things that I cook all the time and that I love and that when I eat them, I feel warm inside. Um, that's the kind of food that I would want to do a cookbook of. I, I don't think that it makes sense to do a cookbook of food that you don't love and feel warm while eating. I don't know. <laughs> Seems like a good way to write a dispassionate cookbook. I don't know. Doesn't doesn't really seem right to me. But yeah, I feel like maybe the obvious choice for a title would be to just call it No Bad Food and, you know, do a tie-in with the podcast because hashtag branding. I don't know. I do think there's a good chance I'll write a cookbook sometime down the line. I, uh, I I love the idea of publishing a book, setting up a little passive income stream, you know, that that kind of thing is really appealing to me. I've always been a semi-decent writer, and I do actually have a couple of recipes that I've, air quotes, published, for lack of a better word. Um, my friend Shanna Bernier put together a sort of newsletter care package thingy a couple times during the pandemic, and I submitted some recipes that were published as part of that. But I don't think that I have enough recipes of my own right now that I'd feel confident trying to put them into any sort of formal publication like beyond you know a two or three page zine so I'm uh, I'm gonna hold off on writing a cookbook for the you know foreseeable future but it's definitely something I want to do down the line because I think I think that the beauty of food is in the stories and the love and attention that are put into it by the person cooking it and I think that a cookbook is a really great way to share those things with more people than you can actually do it with directly, if that makes sense. Like, like I most likely, I'm never going to be in the same room as Alex Gornishelli cooking with her, right? There, there's a chance. I mean, I have aspirations to end up on the Food Network someday. Maybe we would do an episode of Guy's Grocery Games together. Who knows? But like, you know, odds are pretty good. I'm not going to get to, you know, cook with someone like her or get to cook with like, you know, Marcus Samuelson or like Manit Shohan or like any of these celebrity chefs whose work I really, really love. But, you know, I can look at their cookbooks. I can read the things that they've written about food, the way that they talk about food, the the love and the stories that are interwoven into that. And I can make those recipes too. And and when I do that, I do feel that connection to them. And I think that there's something really beautiful about that. I think that that is one of the most beautiful things that we as people can do is share and collaborate. And so I, I think, 
yeah, I would love to write a cookbook someday to do that. You know, I'd love to be able to put my recipes out there and have people feel more connected to me by cooking the things that I feel connected to. I think that's beautiful and I love that idea. But not this year. This year, I have other things I need to do first. So that's it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of No Bad Food. Did you like this Q&A format thingy? I hope so. I'm going to do it again sometime soon. <laughs> again, probably during reading week because I uh, have a feeling I'm not going to have a whole lot of time this semester to record interviews. But, uh, you know, we'll see. We'll see. I only have one in-person class, so maybe I'm going to have a whole lot of time to record interviews. Who knows? Point is, I'm very glad that you are here. I'm very glad that you took time out of your day to listen to this episode. And, uh, you know, happy birthday to me. Thanks for listening on my birthday. If you listened on the 6th, happy birthday to me. Happy Labor Day to you. If you're listening on a day after the 6th, you know, that's also cool. Happy not my birthday. Maybe it's your birthday today. Happy birthday if it's your birthday today. <laughs> that would be fun. Anyway, if you want to be part of the conversation, uh, you know, get involved, talk to me, interact with me, whatever, hit me up on Twitter and Instagram at Tom Zalatni or at No Bad Food Pod. If you like this episode and want to help me make the show even better, you can head to patreon.com slash no bad food pod to donate. For as little as a dollar a month, you'll be joining the ranks of fine folks like Patrick, Gabriel, Kendallin, Carlea, Thomas, George Poppy, Killian, Sarah, Angelica, Anne, Andrew, Laura, Chantal, and David. Patrons get access to all kinds of awesome perks including the ability to request topics for episodes of the show or, you know, send in questions for these Q&A episodes, if that's exciting for you. And you can go to patreon.com slash nobadfoodpod to donate as little as a dollar a month and make that happen. Please consider doing it as a birthday present for me, you know? It's 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 a dollar. Even if you donate a dollar and, and donate a dollar a month for a whole year, you're still only, it's, it's $12 of cost to you. Less if you are American, because I'm pretty sure it's in Canadian dollars. Maybe more if you are Canadian because it's in US dollars. I actually can't remember what currency Patreon uses right now. I should probably know this. But either way, it's like roughly a dollar a month. You know? A great birthday present for me. A very cheap investment for you. <laughs> that's, that's, that's it. That's it. That's my pitch. Patreon. Do it. I also have merch, and you can hit the merch link in the description of this episode to get all sorts of great stuff from my lovely friends over at TeePublic. And of course, you can support the show for free by leaving a rating and review on your podcatcher of choice and by sharing this episode with a friend. My theme music is by Zach Ingalls, and the cover art is by David Flam. You can find links for both of them in the description of this episode. And last but certainly not least, the show is produced and edited by me, Tom Zalatni, whose birthday is today, the 6th of September. Huzzah! As part of the Upford Network. You can find out about all the great shows on our network at UpfordNetwork.com. Yay, it's my birthday! Wish me a happy birthday in the comments. Share the episode. Here, why, whoa, why is the music playing over? Are you trying to drown me out, Future Tom? God damn, t- t- Future Tom, stop trying to drown me out. It's my birthday. Hey, let me self indulge. Hello, my name is Stefan, and please join me every week for my podcast, Some Good Friends, a show where I talk to some good friends of mine. Previous guests have included a Reiki healer, the heir to the Redenbacher popcorn throne, the person definitely not responsible for the murder hornet outbreak, and Jack Nicholson. Comes out Mondays, early in the morning. Check it out, and you might laugh. 
on behalf of the Canadian people. Welcome, Welcome to, to the Gay and Grey podcast. Gay and Grey Montreal is a new social group for English-speaking gay elders from the 2S LGBTQIA plus communities. So it's a good way to at least connect with people. Members share their experiences, memories, and opinions on our podcast. Welcome to our community. I hope you feel well. I hope you feel accepted. And I hope that you can share anything that you want. This is some of my story. And I hope you enjoy it. Oh, I have a great story. <laughs>